I've just been so touched today by <clears throat> the way we've been led in worship by the participants. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Ryan did not say his story about an old man. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. Um, always appreciate things that um, Greg has to say when he gets up. And some of you may have noticed that Greg recently won third place in the world in powerlifting in Russia. So congratulations to him. Yeah. <clears throat> then, of course, Casey, who read Scripture so well, he won the high school state championship in powerlifting back a few years ago. Bryant Hicks, do not get on a racquetball court with Bryant Hicks. I've done a lot of bragging about my racquetball skills, and I will never play Bryant Hicks again. He is rough. Then you got Brian. Brian's just one of the best people I've ever known. We're going to read from Luke today, and uh, Luke chapter 9. And this is an important chapter or, or passage in the structure of Luke because uh, it's a turning point. When Jesus turns from his ministry to Galilee and heads toward Jerusalem, and the rest of the Gospel of Luke is about that journey to Jerusalem and then what happens there. Also, I want to give you a fair warning that uh, in this passage, there's a couple of Old Testament guys that are lurking in the background. I want you to see if you can find them in the reading. I'll give you a little bit of a, a hint. Uh, Elijah and Elisha uh, had a lot of interesting stories in their life and Twice, Elijah called down fire from heaven and destroyed some enemies of God. When Elijah went to call Elisha to be his disciple, Elisha was plowing. And when Elisha was called to be a disciple, he asked if he could go home and say goodbye to his family, and Elijah let him do that. And he went home and had a great party and then left and went to be Elijah's disciple. So see if you see Elijah and Elisha popping up. Let's um, stand as we hear this, the gospel. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, and on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. May God bless the reading of his word. 
I hope that doesn't bother you sitting there, but my voice suddenly is giving me a little bit of trouble here. In West Texas, when someone is intent on doing something, we've got a phrase where we say, well, they're just bound and determined to do that. You've heard that before. Well, in ancient Palestine during the time of Jesus, they had a phrase that meant the same thing. They would say, well, he just has his face set toward that. And you can kind of understand how that would be, that they're just intent and looking at something and they're going to do it. Well, this text tells us that Jesus, at this point in his life, had his face set toward Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem no matter what. And he knew what was waiting for him there. He had already told his disciples, when we go to Jerusalem, I will be arrested, I will be beaten, I will be crucified, and then on the third day I will rise again. So he knew what was waiting for him, but he was bound and determined to go, thankfully. Nothing distracted him. He set a straight course, even going right straight through Samaria, which Jewish people didn't tend to do, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. And nothing deterred him along his way. And he had plenty of opportunities to be distracted. Even Satan entered in to trying to get him to turn aside. Sometimes it was his very friends, his disciples, who unknowingly were trying to distract him with other things. But he was bound and determined to go to Jerusalem. He had his face set toward Jerusalem. Unfortunately... Those of us who follow Jesus don't do quite as well with distractions. Or at least, maybe I just need to confess that I often am easily distracted as I follow him. When our grandkids come to see us, uh, we have a little ritual or tradition in the evening as we're trying to wind them down to go to bed will put in one of the movies that they enjoy watching. And it seems like each visit, it's kind of a different movie that they focus on, and we'll watch a portion of that movie. This time around, as they came and spent the week with us for Vacation Bible School, the movie was Up. Y'all seen that? I, I love that movie, great movie. And uh, there's so much about that movie that could be sermon illustrations. But the thing I'm thinking about today is, is the group of dogs that are in the movie. If you haven't seen it, there's these dogs that this scientist or this guy has put collars on so you can hear them talking about what's going on inside their head. And so these dogs will be out chasing the people they're supposed to chase, like Carl, the old man, or Russell, the little boy, or Kevin, the bird. <laughs> okay. Of course, one of the dogs' name is Doug, too, isn't it? Yeah, Doug, I bet you appreciate that, don't you? But anyway, they're, they're running and they're chasing and they're going to catch and they just about get there and all of a sudden someone will say, squirrel, and here they all go. <laughs> they're off chasing some squirrel. Or even at one of the, the dramatic moments of the movie when the dogs are closing in on Carl and Kevin and they're going to get him, Carl holds up a ball. He says, ball, ball, and he throws the ball and there they all go, you know, running after. I can relate. You know, I, I make that commitment, okay, this time it's for real. This time I'm going to stay close to my Lord. This time I'm going to do more study. I'm going to do, you know, all the commitments we make on that road following him. And it seems like almost every time someone says, squirrel, and there we go. 
Luke obviously could relate to this as well. Because just as he tells us that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, and as he prepares us to see how Jesus determinedly walks that road to Jerusalem, he tells us four little stories about distractions, things that can get our minds on something else and pull us away from following our Lord. Now, the way that Luke tells them is interesting. He puts the scariest story first. So I don't want to tell the scariest story first. So we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up, all right? And then maybe by the time we get to the really scary story, we'll be ready to handle it. So the first story that we're going to talk about, which is the last story that Luke tells us, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Hey, it's biblical, right? It's a story about a guy that volunteers to go with Jesus. He says, uh, I- I'll go with you, Jesus. And uh, he, as he's walking along, he says, all I want to do is first go home and say goodbye to my folks. Now, how many of you think that's a reasonable request? Yeah, you know, not only does it sound reasonable to us, as I pointed out, when Elisha was called by Elijah, he made the same request. He said, I just want to go home and say goodbye to my parents and my, my family. And, and, and Elijah said, sure. And Elisha went home and they killed the oxen he was with, you know, and plowing with. And, and they had a great big party. And then he left and followed Elijah, the rest of Elijah's earthly ministry. However, Jesus says, you know what? Those who put their hand to the plow and keep looking back, are not worthy of the kingdom. Now, I want to know, how many of you have plowed a field? I'm I'm serious. I know I'm asking for a lot of hand raising. With a mule. Wow, generations are passing away. I used to could ask that question, and I'd get at least one or two hands up. You know, people that had plowed with a mule. Jesus is using a very relevant uh, example for these people because they saw people plowing all the time. They plowed fields as well. And he's saying what you do is when you start plowing, you better not keep looking back over your shoulder because what's going to happen? You're going to veer off. That's right. Now, since that's not very relevant to us, let's change the metaphor a little bit. I think if Jesus were here today, he'd say, don't text and drive. Now, I'm not going to ask for, volu- I mean, for people to raise their hand who have texted and drove. Because I know some of you have because I've texted you while you were driving and you texted me back. <laughs> Don't do that. But we think we can handle it. We think we can drive along, you know, and we're down here doing this and everything. How many of you have ever been texting and driving and looked up and realized that you were running off the road? How many of you have looked up just in the nick of time to see that traffic had stopped? You know, you know that that's not a good idea. How many of you, if you don't text, how many of you have ever tried to reach something in the back seat while you're driving? You know, and here you go. Jesus is warning us that if you make the commitment to follow Keep your attention focused on that. Because if we allow ourselves to be distracted by other things, then we're not going to travel a a straight road. 
We're not going to be behind him when we need to be. He moves on and gives another example as well. As another person uh, he, he calls, actually, and, and he says, well, I need to go home and bury my father. How many of you think that's a valid excuse? <laughs> yeah, admit it, you do, don't you? Yeah, that, that sounds like, well, yeah, you got to go bury your father. We've, scholars have really struggled with this. Uh, some of them suggest that maybe it's because the grieving process and the funeral process back then lasted for months, that this guy isn't just saying, let me go to my father's funeral tomorrow and then I'll come and join you. But he's saying, it'll be a couple of months before I can get back to you. Could be. Other scholars have suggested that perhaps the father isn't even sick yet, you know? He says, you know, I can't leave until father dies. And so he's going to go home and stay for years until his father finally gets old enough and then gets sick and then dies. I don't know. But Jesus, once again, calls his hand on this. And he says, no. He said, let the dead bury their own dead, which most people interpret to mean those who are spiritually dead can handle all the details of life. You need to come and to follow me. One more little incident there is another volunteer that says, I'll go with you wherever you're going, and implying that if he's in Samaria, he'll even go to Jerusalem with them, which is quite a statement. And Jesus says, well, you do realize I don't have any place to live. I have nothing. I have no possessions. And most of the time we recognize that the distraction here is our stuff. You know, we get so focused on our things, and, and that takes up all of our time. How many of you are owned by two cars? You know, how many of you are owned by a house? You know, our stuff tends to own us, doesn't it? It keeps our attention focused on it because we have to take care of it. We have to provide for it. Well, let's stop right here before we go to the scary story and think about these things just for a moment. Each of these is a distraction but yet, each of these seems to be something that's kind of reasonable to us, too, doesn't it? And I know that a portion of this is saying how radical our commitment to Jesus must be, that it really must take first priority in our lives. However, also, another thought pops into my mind that Jesus knows our hearts, and I wonder if he didn't just know that these were more excuses than distractions. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll follow you, but let me think of some reason why I can't. You ever been invited out to dinner by someone you didn't want to go with? Oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, got to do laundry that night. <laughs> yeah, something. I got to think of something. My, my sister used to uh, get called for dates by, by guys she didn't want to go with. And so she would hold the phone out. We, we, that was back when you had phones that were on the wall. I know you guys don't know anything about that. But she would hold the phone out so the guy could hear and say, Hey, Mom, can I go with so-and-so on Friday night? And Mom would yell loudly so the guy could hear, No, you have to stay home that night. You know, yeah, we want to follow Jesus, and we will as soon as you fill in the blank. We have our list of excuses we're going to get to it just as soon as we can, but we've got a lot of other things we've got to do first. We have our distractions. It seems like just as soon as we say, this time it's for real, this time we're going to do it. Someone throws a ball. 
Someone yells squirrel. And here we go. And our commitment to the Lord is way in the back of our minds. Now, those three stories are severe enough. Those three stories are convicting enough. Are you sure you want to hear the fourth one? I told you it's scary. If you have small children, cover their ears. Okay. Oh, they probably won't understand, but you will. This fourth story, which is the first story that Luke tells us, is a story about the distraction of historic conflicts. Now, what do we mean by historic conflicts? We're talking about those conflicts that we have in our lives with individuals, with groups, with family members that are long-standing and very deep. And it doesn't take much to pull the anger up out of us whenever we have an encounter in a historic conflict. We are kind of wired to have these things. And it doesn't take much to set them off. Somebody can say one word to us, but because of our history with that person, boom! Y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Come on, guys. I have them. You have them. You know you have one whenever you try to explain why you're so mad at someone to another friend. Well, I said this, and that person said that, and wow, you know, and the friend's going, doesn't sound like a very big deal to me. Well, you just don't understand, you know? You don't understand about my family. You don't understand about this. But we have those nerves, and they're easily touched. The buttons are pushed. Groups have historic conflict. I remember back when I was a teenager, I couldn't understand why something little would happen in one of our major cities, and all of a sudden, the whole city would be on fire in some kind of riot. Do you all remember those times? Well, it wasn't the little thing that happened. It was the deep historic conflict that burst out. Wars had been fought over this. But we, as individuals have these things in our lives as well. Someone says something. Someone does something. Someone rolls their eyes. And boom. There we go. And of course, they're always the bad guys. If they would just shape up, it would all be over. Wouldn't it? This story is one about historic conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. No one really knows where this conflict got started, but it's all through the New Testament, the gospel stories, isn't it? All of us are even aware that the Jews and, Gentile, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. And usually the Jews would not even walk through Samaria because they got hassled and harassed all the time when they did. Now, people could tell they were Jewish, and, and they, would, they wouldn't be given water. They wouldn't be given food. They, people wouldn't sell them stuff. You know, they were just ignored. And the Jews, from their, their, their part, would, would throw the harassment back at them. And so it's just a lot easier to go around and not let those buttons get pushed. We don't know all the events. Josephus tells us that the Jews did burn down the Samaritan temple in 100 B.C. 
Um, now, that might, you know, cause a little bit of hard feeling, but the history was there, and the people knew all about it. Now, here comes Jesus through. His disciples go into town. They try to find a place for Jesus to stay, and they said, we're not going to give any lodging to some guy, on his, to some Jewish man on his way to Jerusalem. So they blow up. James and John hear about it, and they have an easy solution. Let's just call fire down from heaven and burn all these people up. Aren't you glad you don't have that power? Just think if you had that power, what would have happened to some of your friends and some of your family? Just in those moments of explosion, whenever someone touches a nerve or pushes a button, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to stop that. Now, In your Bible, if you have your Bible open, there is a footnote. My Bible says, but he turned and rebuked James and John. But in my Bible, there's a footnote, and I bet there is one for you too, that some of the older manuscripts go on with a little dialogue there. And I love this dialogue. Listen to what these manuscripts say that Jesus said to them. Whenever they're wanting to call fire down because of these awful people and what they're doing, Jesus says to them, you do not know what spirit you are of. Ooh, don't you know what kind of spirit I am giving you? What kind of spirit I have? For the Son of Man has come not to destroy the lives of human beings, but to save them. Jesus has his face set toward salvation. He has his face set toward reconciliation. He has his face set toward destroying his enemies, as Abraham Lincoln once said, by making them his friends. Talk about a distraction. We are so determined to be good and holy and wonderful people. And it's so easy sometimes with people we don't know It's so easy at times with people we see at church. But when it comes to those with whom we've had a long struggle and a historic conflict, the challenge is, can we stay the way? Can we stay on the road? Can we keep our face set toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Can we be bound and determined to show everyone the love that he has shown us? Thankfully, Jesus ignored the distractions. He went to Jerusalem. And there, just like he said, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. And because of his faithfulness and his determination, we are saved. Now, can we follow him? Can we keep our eyes on him? and set our face toward him. Let's pray. Father, I need to confess, and I know others here are confessing, that we have these buttons that are pushed. We have these long-standing conflicts in our lives that so easily erupt with feelings of anger and emotion. And we're convicted, Father, that um, if we want to follow your Son, that we must follow him in his spirit. Father, forgive us for the excuses we make. Forgive us for being so distracted in our journey. 
Help us, Father, as we recommit for this commitment to go as deep, as deep as our distractions, as our excuses, as our anger. And help us to stay close to your Son. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. If you made the same confession and conviction and commitment this time, this time, let's keep our eye on the road. Let's stand and sing.